0: Thank you for choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes. This is Anita Westlake. In today's podcast, I'd like to talk about service dogs and diabetes and how these service dogs can really help people living with diabetes. Not only can they help people living with diabetes, but also give the families peace of mind, giving the diabetic some independence and the family, the families involved, some support. I'm really interested in hearing how this works. I know that they can... Uh, detect high blood sugars, they can detect low blood sugars, and bring your testing kit. But to explore this tool and how useful and wonderful it can be in a diabetic's life is head trainer Gloria Beckham. She's here um, to share with us over her 18 years of experience in seizure response and diabetic alert dogs. And she's happy to be here today with us to explain how wonderful these dogs are and how They're such a wonderful tool to use with for diabetics and management and support the families with concerns. Welcome Gloria and thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh yes, thank you for having me.
0: I'm really excited to hear about these service dogs and how they can be a wonderful tool in managing um, diabetes and helping the family and the diabetic themselves. This is uh, very interesting. Really exciting to hear that we have another tool to help us in managing our diabetes successfully.
1: Yes. Having um, a dog guide uh, that can work with your diabetes and help with the lows is a quite amazing tool to have.
0: It is. And when I think of guide dogs, I think of people that are visually impaired. I don't think of diabetes. I, I know that there's been a lot of talk as of late in the media but is this? I know it may be fairly new to your organization. But are you aware how long they've um, they've known that dogs can do this?
1: Well, for the diabetes, uh, there's quite a few different schools out there, but not in Canada that do do it. But for the length of time, there's a. I really don't have the answer to that.
0: Okay, so it's still fairly new, or else I know that you've been a head trainer for 18 years. You more than likely would have been aware if it had been around that long. So it's still fairly new in the idea of using dogs as a tool to detect high and low blood sugars.
1: That's correct. We've been doing it at our school for the past two years. We're in our second year of it. And how it come about is we were getting quite a few inquiries about people with Diabetes, looking for diabetic alert dogs.
0: And these are alert dogs. So I'm I'm curious, is there a difference between a guide dog, an alert dog, and a response dog?
1: Where the dog guide comes in with us, that's our actual school's name, dog guides. So we train different types of dog guides under that umbrella.
0: So really it's a turn of phrase?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Okay, so. so they
1: are called diabetic alert dogs. Ours are diabetic alert dog guides. Okay. It's just a technicality with the name.
0: All right, that's great. And so can any dog be trained in this area? It, like if you had a dog, you know, and um, you wanted to keep this dog and wondered if it was capable of detecting, you know, lows, highs when it came to sugar... Um, is this something any dog can learn, or, you know, is there a process no. the dog has to go through to see if it qualifies or if it's a candidate for this type of training?
1: Well, first, we do it with, from our own breeding program, but there's no, not any type of dog can do it. They have to have a good sense of smell. They have to be very in tune to the handler, and they also have to have a clear health check. Okay. Okay. We want to make sure that we're putting out good physical dogs as well.
0: So they're really in tune with the handler, the the, the diabetic in this case. And so when you train, is the handler part of this training program?
1: Uh, no, they're not. They're, it sounds funny, but their breath is.
0: Their breath is. Oh, that's very interesting. And how does all that yeah. work?
1: Well, how we train the dogs is we train the dogs off the individual's breath and they there's a little tube that has a filter in it and the person will breathe into that tube. Then they'll, when they have a hypoglycemic low, below 4.5, when that happens they'll breathe into the tube, into the filter, they'll cap it, they'll put the date on it and they'll put what the low was and then they'll put that into the freezer. When they collected about 20 or 30 samples, they'll send them to us, and then that's what we train the dogs on. We take the samples out, thaw them, and train the dogs off those things.
0: So um, this is a process, so a diabetic would have to gather um, these samples of a low blood sugar and record what their blood sugar was at the time, and then keep them in the freezer. And When they have a number of samples, as you say, maybe 20 to 30, they bring them to a facility, um, and this is one of the tools you use in training the dogs. Is it the same process for high blood sugars?
1: We actually don't train for the high blood sugar. We only train for type one diabetes with hypoglycemia unawareness.
0: Okay, all right.
1: And the reason why we train for This one in particular, because this is the one, like, there's no awareness. The person gets no warning whatsoever. And they can go from passing out to unconscious to even a coma. It can be fatal if it's not caught in time.
0: Okay. Well, and and we're all, um, we all have heard the stories of these things happening, especially at night when one's sleeping. And I think, although I've heard different things um, that these dogs are capable of, at this point, you're really focusing on training dogs to deal and identify with low blood sugars, which is wonderful. That's right. And so this would be, from what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, this would be a fantastic thing for uh, sleeping time at night or if a diabetic's is napping, this, a dog would be able to alert them of a low blood sugar.
1: Yes, we get um a lot of calls, particularly from parents worrying about their children because very very lack of sleep for the parent. They're in every two hours checking the child's blood sugar to making sure, you know, it hasn't dropped because this is a time where they usually will drop a lot. Right. So, they, so they're up all night going in there regularly checking on the child. When I mean child, I'm talking... 15, 16, high school, like it goes on, it doesn't just stop once the child's, you know, 10, 11, 12, they still have to be checked.
0: Right, so, and that goes on, um, that can go on for quite some time, but, you yes. know, I can see where the parents are getting up or and checking and it's got to be, you know, hard, lack of sleep, and of course, they're worried they're not going to get up or miss something. Now, when the dog detects a low blood sugar... And can they Will they alert the diabetic? Can they be trained to get someone else in the household? How would that work? Yes. Or it's is more, it really up to the family? Is it their preference on how they would yeah, handle it's, it?
1: When as a younger person, we do talk with the the parents as well as the child. We figure out what's the best system, Whether because sometimes they're really a challenge to wake up themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. So instead of
1: having the dog try to wake up, Uh, individual, will have the dog alert the parents.
0: So really, it can always be somewhat customized.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. It's to
1: each person's specific needs that we are uh, customizing the dogs to.
0: Isn't that fantastic? And,
1: And we're a young school learning and growing as well with the program.
0: And so there's probably so, much more so you could there, be adding to yeah, this so program. Yeah, so there's things
1: that are slowly changing as we learn and as we grow with the teens.
0: Wow, that's something. What if? Um, and having said that, that it can be somewhat customized. So, you know, um, a dog. So let's say this, this child is uh, 10, okay, for sake of argument. Yes. In, the, in the case of a child, now they're 10. And that is
1: the age that we actually start at is 10.
0: Oh, okay, so I hit the nail right on the head. So they're yes, 10 years is. old. And their parents come to you and they they um, gather the information, and you're training the dog, and they would like to be the ones that are woken up. So let's just say, yes. mom says, I would like to be the one woken up. Now, yes. does it get complicated? Let's say mom has a cold, and it's going to be dad that's woken up. Does it have to be one parent or another, or the dog's just going to come in the room and get the parent up, one of the two of them up, to say, you know, Billy's got a low blood sugar.
1: Uh, the dog, I'd imagine if he couldn't get one parent up, he'd definitely go to the other parent and be very, we trained to be very persistent.
0: Okay, so it's not like set in stone, you know, cause I'm thinking now let's say it's eight years later and maybe, yep. um, you know, this all changes. Billy goes off to, to university and he's living on campus and he's able to wake up yep. for the most part or roommate can the dog adjust to this or is this a really difficult thing to that work out you know
1: depends on the dog and how adaptable each dog's case would be individual what they could adapt to and what you know the age of the dog would be at that time and how alert it still was at doing its job and if it was capable we could do add some extra training into the dog or He would need to retire that dog and start all over with a new dog. And his family could adopt the dog at that time, family members, and he would start with a new dog.
0: Okay, so, you know, it can work for a period of time and then it may need some tweaking with, um, you know, another dog altogether.
1: And then maybe at college what would need to happen is there's alert systems that the dogs would detect the low on the now, to be a teenager, young adult, would detect the low and then hit an alert system to some emergency help or to wake up somebody else or something. But it'd be some type of alarm system that would either call whoever you needed to have called, whether it was 911 or whether it was a different individual that could come and wake you up to have your blood checked.
0: Wow, that's amazing! And I mean, this would be so useful for so many people—not just children, but anyone living alone, um, yeah. you know, older people with type two diabetes that are by themselves, or just need that um, added tool and comfort level and yes. support.
1: And right now, for people that live on their own, or if you're out in public, the dogs would be trained to nudge you when they detect a the low, nudge with their nose.
0: Wow! So could you take them to the gym with you?
1: Uh, yes, you could definitely take them to the gym with you.
0: I mean, what a great...
1: And the dog would lay on the mat while you're doing your workout.
0: And then they could, you know, can they bring you your testing kit? Or maybe inside you have some sugar in this little kit? You know, they're usually yeah. zipped and closed with a cover.
1: Yes, or like your um, orange juice. If you need your little box of orange juice because you're uh, having a little bit of lows, so you need the orange juice to bring it up. Wow. The dogs could fetch that for you, or your medical kit.
0: Isn't that The dogs
1: thing? are capable of catching them. You just put them in spots where the dogs see them, and then if needed, the dogs know to get them and bring them to you.
0: Now, I'm curious about um, traveling. We talked about the gym, which is, you know, that's fantastic, but what about in traveling? So if you were on, I'm going to say, train, plane, bus, automobile, um, and the dogs, are they can they travel with you Um, Is this going to throw them off balance?
1: No, the dogs, they adjust to traveling better than what we do. Most people are quite surprised. A lot of our dogs, since we do from one end of Canada to the other, so a lot of our dogs fly home once the client graduates with their dog. Because once the dog's fully trained, the client would the person that's getting the dog would come to our dog guide school and stay for three weeks and learn to work with the dog. Not just for the they learn, but how to take care of the dog, work with basic obedience, and then how to take care of the dog. You know when to feed the dog. Some people's never had a dog. How to play with the dog, how often to play with the dog, taking the dogs for daily walks, um, going out in the public with the dog. We go out and put many different outings so that they're well uh, adjusted to the dog once they get home and they're confident. In and in handling. different
0: atmospheres, it's sounding like. So how do you travel with the dog when you're walking the dog? And people might want to come up and pet the dog. Um, from what I've gathered, that dog has to be really in tune with That's right. right with the owner. And I'm saying owner, meaning the, the person they're caring for and, and helping along the way and And they have the
1: special jacket on which helps identify the dog and what he's doing
0: and so they could go shopping with them they um they can virtually go everywhere and from what i'm understanding they're even i'd ask the question um i'd pose the question initially with your organization could the the dog go on maybe a school trip with a young child because not a lot of people know okay there's a low blood sugar we're on this school trip you know, this would be a fantastic tool yeah. to use in that case.
1: Exactly. It's hard to keep your eyes on every child. You know, there's even though there's, like, you know, volunteers and parents all around, but it's still hard to keep your eye on every child. You know, sugar low can happen so quick. So having that dog there is a great tool. It takes the stress off the child and also takes the stress off the teachers. W-
0: wonderful. And... Extra activities. So if your daughter has diabetes and she's in gymnastics or she's cheerleading, or I mean, these are really enduring um, activities. The and dog that's could what be. And a lot of,
1: it. of the lows.
0: Yeah. Right, right. This is wonderful. I mean, and also it gives a sense of security, I would imagine, to instructors.
1: Oh, yes. The relief that it gives to, like you were saying, teachers, instructors, so gives a great relief they don't have to sit there and keep such close eye
0: which is wonderful i mean you know they they have to have an eye out um no matter what and make sure you know everyone's safe but to to have that added you know worry and concern for a child this is really um a wonderful tool to add in our booklet or our you know tool case in uh, managing diabetes this is just uh, incredible to me that the dogs can do this now and the
1: child 's getting independence back in their life too, where they don 't have to have that parent looking over their shoulder constantly
0: and and that is um, such an important thing, even an older person you know giving them confidence, really all of us. That's hard but, to. A child, you know, obviously they're young and and the parents are so very worried. So this is an awesome, awesome tool to have. Now, what if the child or the adult or the older person has more than one medical condition going on? Could a dog be trained to identify more than one thing?
1: Um, At our school, that's not something that we're doing right now. Um, the reasons we are still working on growing this program for strictly the, the diabetic low so we're not working with other medical other medical
0: conditions, conditions. Nope. but but do nope. you nope. think in your 18 years of experience do you think it's possible that a dog could be trained let's say um, I'm just gonna say seizures and low blood sugars maybe yep. someone I think has so both it's
1: possible yep for sure. It's we do, do in other programs cross training. For example, if somebody had a, um, a physical disability and they had epilepsy, they could have a dog for both. But if somebody has um or if somebody had say diabetes and they're death, the dog could be trained for both. Wow. But we but we don't do it at our school.
0: Right, I understand that at your facility you're not be. doing it, but it could no, be done. No. Oh, yes, for sure. It's and really like having that would, option, right?
1: Yes, yes. And there's people, uh, yeah, I feel that dogs could, there's other schools out there that work with different um, multi-disabilities.
0: Right, where the dog could deal and with more than one.
1: And the yes, yes. There's a few schools out there that do that, but. Not, not in Canada, that I know of.
0: Well, you know, I'm thinking too, if you're, you know, you're staying with relatives or you're a house guest or a child with a sleepover, um, the dog could go. Yeah. And, you know, yep. there's a yep. sense of security and um, help with this. Now, are they hypoallergenic dogs? Because, of course, if you're visiting or traveling, you're out in public with the dog. You're in school. We do
1: have hypo. How allergenic dogs, but not all of the dogs are. We use um, Labrador Retrievers, then Retrievers, Standard Poodles and Miniature Poodles. And the the Poodles are the ones that we use for the hypoallergenic. So there,
0: it's available, um, in other words. Yes,
1: it's available to them. So it works out well somebody in the family's allergic to the, you know, RIC labs. Then they We'll get a standard or a mini poodle, whichever their preference is.
0: Now, is there a, like a long waiting list? What is the process if one wants to go this route and get a service dog for diabetes?
1: Right now, the waiting list is, waiting list is about one year.
0: Wow! So it is a, and is that just to get the dog? Never mind gathering yes. your information.
1: No. Um, that's who we have on the waiting list, but once they're on the waiting list, we will go out and we do home assessments.
0: Okay, so you, you, you do, yes, you do. Um, so the process is, I come to you, this is, right. if you could walk me through it, i come to you and I said, you know, I would like a service dog to help me um, with low blood sugars and my diabetes. Yes.
1: So we'll ask you to fill out an application. And we'll ask for, in that application, of readings of the last four months of their blood work so we can see where their highs are, where their lows are. Yes, in their highs, because some people run their blood a little on the high side because they're trying to avoid those lows.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, they don't, especially but that's at really night. Hard on
1: the, that's really hard on your system, running it high like that.
0: Of course, absolutely. And it can be... So um, the you go and you fill out um, the application. And, of course, I guess you wonder if there's any allergies in the home with the the diabetic themselves, and then you ask for, the, for them to gather information on their sugars. Yes,
1: and then once uh, we have that completed application, um, a trainer will call them a second appointment wherever they are in Canada. And we'll go there and we'll do what we call in-home assessment. We uh, will see what the individual needs are and see if a dog could actually help them. And just, you know, see the home environment, the family environment, or whichever it may be. And and just gather as much information as we can about the individual and what type of dog you'd need to go into that home environment. And then we bring the information back to our dog eye school, and we have what you call an acceptance committee. And that's presented to the acceptance committee, bit. and we'll make a group decision, and then the individual whether they get accepted or denied will have a letter in the mail.
0: Wow! So there's a, a quite a lengthy process. And and what would uh, what would be the case if they were denied? Like, what? Why would you deny an individual? I'm very curious about that.
1: Um, I guess one reason would be that they're not. Their loaves aren't frequent enough.
0: Oh, okay, so it's maybe not warranted by the committee.
1: Well, and well, the dog and the dog has to have enough to work to as well. Oh, really? Yes. If oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. If they're too far in between, then the dog would get too relaxed and maybe not be picking them up as much as he would need to.
0: So if you're having a a low blood sugar, and I'm just throwing this out. So in the middle of the night, you have a low blood sugar once every three months. And you probably wake up, but, you know, you think I'm by myself. um, And so just in case I don't, I'd like to have a guide dog. You may not be a candidate for this program.
1: That's right. More than likely, unless you had a dog that was a really light sleeper, more than likely, the dog wouldn't even pick it up because it's not into that pattern of thinking of getting up, checking on the individual. If it's been that long, the dog wouldn't be in that mind, and brain.
0: Okay, that's see, I just thought that all right, you've trained the dog whether it happened, you know, once uh, every two months or, you know, two times a week or three times a week that they were on it, but actually, you have to give the dog. Um, something to work with or it's not going to work and they, as you said, they could forget or sleep through it.
1: That's correct.
0: All right. So, you know, it's not just a general tool. It's for people that really need this sort of support in the young, especially I would imagine, because I know there's an awful lot of lows that can happen with activities and then the parents having to check. So if your child, we're going to use a child again, um, is only getting lows uh, what would you say is, um, is kind of a, 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 a line in the sand? So if they're having it uh, once a week, is that enough to keep a dog stimulated and on board with detecting the,
1: um, it? The average that we're looking for is uh, three to five a week. Three to five a and, week? And, and people that have hypoglycemic unawareness, they have that. A lot of them will have that, meet that criteria, no problem.
0: Okay. So really it should be several times a week in order yeah. for the dog to be stimulated enough to keep this up. well it would be
1: especially in the beginning time, like you know, the first year or so especially of the training, the dog would really need that type of um awful to say it that way, but that type of commitment off the person, that type of loads happening regularly.
0: To keep them going in the routine and how they've been yeah. trained, right?
1: Yeah, and yes, this is what we have found out from other schools that do do it, uh, that are accredited schools but not in Canada.
0: Okay, so this is some information gathering from people that have been because doing there it. Because
1: no, yeah, there is no other accredited school in Canada doing the diabetic alert dogs. That's why we um, have the resources knowledge to investigate and found other schools that are doing it, and we worked with them on it.
0: Well, I've, I've seen, um, I did a little research and I've seen them in California and Florida um, and just outstanding, um, you know, experiences yeah. and feedback, which was wonderful. Um, and in saying that, what happens, is there been any feedback? So now you've got, um, you know, a child and for a, a period of time, the adult, the child, the diabetic is having an issue with low blood sugars. Now let's say that now they've got the dog and it's really helped but in their management things start to look better and they get low, less low blood sugars will the dog continue to be able to help let's say if it's a year or two down the road or is this you know something well, that is is really for a period we, of time
1: we haven't got there with that but i do believe they would more than likely keep working at that stage And then it's going to depend on what you're doing with that dog, because if you realize your life has changed and you're not eating it the same way, then your activity, your life changes a lot. So if you're doing too much activity with your dog, don't expect your dog to pick up your loaves at night, because your dog's going to sleep heavy just like you.
0: Ah, okay, so um, there's something to that. So if you're just having a dog, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we play with the dogs, we walk them a lot, and you're active with your dog. You know, the dog does get tired. I mean, this, isn't, this is something you really have to work with because they are a living being. And, of That's course, awesome. right. So there's got to be a lot of, you know, respect and working together with the guide dog or, you mm. know, in order for this to be successful. You
1: know, if your dog had a busy day with you, you just need to make sure that uh, you give it some downtime, crate time, some time to itself just to relax and sleep so that it'll be refreshed for the night.
0: Okay. So, you know, other tools, um, you know, that are driven by batteries, I mean, they're mechanical and they really help us in uh, managing diabetes. And I'm just Not that this is going to prevent a low, but it's information gathering, and that's when we test our blood sugars. You put a battery in, you put the strip in, you put blood on it, boom, it works. But with these service dogs, there is a relationship there.
1: It's the bond, it's the relationship that's correct, that gets it all going.
0: So it's You have to have a
1: great bond with your dog. You have to have a trusting relationship with your dog.
0: So but it really also is a relationship. It really yep, is. It's a
1: commitment.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, wonderful. Like it's a relationship
1: building like anybody. It's a relationship, and it's got to start off slow. Like, when they graduate from the dog guide schools, the dog's not necessarily working to the lows. It takes time, built-up relationship, working together. But it does start happening quickly once they go home. But it's a relationship that needs to build and bond for the dog to work, to be in tuned. It's, it's, it's like if there was somebody that was in the room that had a low other than that handler, that don't mean that dog's going to go work for them too.
0: Right, of course. It's, it's paired to the individual. And, of course, as you said, their, their breath, really. I mean, it's, they can smell their particular odor, which is unique to every individual.
1: No, uh, No. the breath is actually, sorry, no, the breath is universal.
0: Oh, okay. Right?
1: Yeah, but we do get the breaths from everybody that's around that can send us their frozen breath. We get their breath. If not, it's a universal breath that we'll use for the people that are far away.
0: Wow. Okay. So really, this is about a dog being able just to, through breath identify a low blood sugar
1: that's correct and it's a universal smell and so everybody's breath gets off that same low blood sugar scent
0: isn't that interesting well you know see my uh, when I first heard about this my thought was wow I mean this is a great tool and thinking that it could replace other things but really it is an add-on it is a second resource That must be met with certain um, criteria such as having them more frequently um, rather than just well you know I get them once in a while it'd be kind of neat to have a dog and the dog help me or even once in a while if my partner or my parents or whomever is traveling and I'm I'm staying with my grandparents it really should be something that's happening on a regular basis in order to be um, a tool that's Really useful and keeps the dog engaged.
1: Exactly. And these people do benefit greatly from this and they do desperately need it. I hear stories that they don't know how they got through that night when they got up and found their blood sugar was so low. You know, some of the stories, people were found unconscious on the floor by a family member that just happened to drop by.
0: Wow. And so, there you go. Somebody was alone, and had the family member not dropped by, they would have still been on the floor, and gosh knows what what the outcome would have been there, where a dog could press an alert button, um, maybe in some cases if they can't walk, but they're able to swallow, bring them some sugar. I mean, this is a wonderful, wonderful tool. Alert
1: from before they got that low.
0: Right. But I'm thinking, I'm so glad that we had this conversation because in my mind, I was wondering, wow, this is just so turnkey. A dog's going to um, really, you know, just tell you if they have a low and, and, you know, bring you perhaps your testing kit and all these wonderful things. But really, you should be um, having them more often. And this is a tool for those that have concerns in certain areas. But the wonderful part of this is even if um, from what I'm understanding, even if it's not just lows, maybe you're suffering from highs and you're not always feeling those either. I mean, we do feel them, but it's amazing the amount of people um, that are walking around with high blood sugar and won't even test. So if, um, right. you know, the dog is able to even make us aware and be that companion where it's, you know, hey, the bark is telling us or the jumping up is telling us, you better test your blood sugar. It's a little too high there, pal. I mean, what yep. a wonderful thing. But again, it's something that the dog is trained for. It's a relationship. There is got to be a need. It's not just for every diabetic. It's for those that struggle in certain areas.
1: Exactly. And the biggest one is seems to be in the nighttime because during the day they can check themselves a little bit more, but it's a, it's a nighttime where they have a lot of fear.
0: And I guess children, again, you know, um, activities, school trips, I mean, what a wonderful tool to have in our pocket to support um, young children so that they can have some independence and the parents mm-hmm. don't have to be, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, they're taking uh, cheerleading or gymnastics or football or, or hockey or whatever. That's right. Now, what about hockey? That's on the ice. That's not on the ground. Can the dogs still um, help those that participate with oh, some children or adults playing hockey? Uh,
1: No, not We haven't had that happen, but what we would have, if it's a child or even an adult, and they have somebody in the stands, we'd have the dog there with them in the stands. The dog wouldn't be right with the adult. Um, We haven't experienced it, but I know um, the one school in the UK that we're talking with, they have um, a young boy that plays soccer, and when he runs by the dog on the sidelines, the dog will alert if he's having a little alert the parents.
0: And that's in the UK? Yes. So they're really, you've got, um, you have contacts in the UK and the US. Um, Yes. What about Australia?
1: Um, Right now, it's just been with the UK and, and the US.
0: Still, it seems to be something that's developing and growing And such a wonderful tool for those that are really struggling in these areas. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of, um, you're exploring and and they're finding out more as they're being able to train these dogs to support people living with diabetes.
1: Yes. Um, All of our dogs are free of charge to um, all qualifying Canadians. So that way we're able to um, help out people that financially can't afford it.
0: Wow. And, and so is that for anyone or just for those that can't financially afford it? Is there some kind no, of form? No,
1: it doesn't matter. for any individual that applies for a dog and qualifies for one.
0: Wow. Isn't that marvelous? I mean, I'm sure that there's other programs in other parts of the world that are supporting this um, because it is such a useful tool. And, you know, especially, you know, again, if they're going away for university, if there's a, someone living on their own an older person, anyone having these concerns, this is just a wonderful add-on tool. And I'm going to say add-on because, of course, it it is a learning process. It's not just turnkey, hey, you know. um, It's something that must be worked on. There's a commitment there. And, of course, there's information gathering. But the start of something just so spectacular, I think this is wonderful.
1: It helps take the person's stress level down pretty quickly, too, wants to get the dog and you know that probably definitely adds to their lows well They're blood sugar lows, stress
0: stress and um uh, there's a lot of um depression with diabetes and so this yeah. is also companionship this is a, such a support system if you're struggling with in these areas what a wonderful support system that can i mean really lift you up. Never mind the idea of a pet being so comforting and loving.
1: It's, it's one loyal friend that they know that will never judge them.
0: And that is so true. You said it beautifully that won't judge them, but support them um, in these areas that they're having trouble with and, and just so marvelous to hear. So um, again, you've got some hypo, hypoallergenic dogs, and then yes. dogs that aren't. Now, is there difficulty when dogs aren't hypoallergenic when they go out in public or in a school setting? Do you find that oh. automatically, if there's going to be a school setting, it should be a hypoallergenic dog? So is there any difficulties there? Because We have we don't, other programs
1: you know, at the school, like dog guide programs. And we have other kids that are in school with dogs, and we really run across the odd problem where there's concern with, there might be a child in the class that's allergic to dog, but um, they're always very accommodating long as the one child's at one end of the room the other's at the other and there's no contact there's there's never an issue, or they'll even switch classrooms but they once it's worked out it's it's a non-issue.
0: Oh, great. And now, does the um, the teacher have to have any prep in these cases if it's a child going to school, meaning other children may want to come up and pet and play with the dog or, you know, there's recess time. See, now, recess time, having said that, what a wonderful tool. If your child's running around and they've got um, the support from a service dog, you know, identifying lows—that's it. Sounds wonderful, but does mm-hmm. the school have to go through a process along with the teacher and understanding how this all works?
1: We usually have um, a big meeting with the school, the school board, superintendent, all together, and uh, we'll have a talk before the a meeting before the dog even comes into the school, yeah. so that there's a clear understanding of what the dog's role is there.
0: So everybody's on the same page and they're aware.
1: And the kids are actually wonderful in the schools. They really understand why the dog's there. They ignore the dog. They don't bother the dog. It's really nice to see. It's really like no issue with the kids. If anybody, it's the teacher saying, you know, when do I get to pet the dog?
0: (laughs) Isn't that something? Well, you know... I think this is such an important service, and so it, you know it gives um, so much value. Again, and I'm going to say again as an add-on tool because you know when you hear service dog, you think, oh, this dog's going to be able to do either so much for you, or you know, then there's always a the doubt: how much could they actually do? But we're kind of right in the middle where we're finding out dogs are capable and helping in so many different ways to trained properly and they meet certain criteria. And again, it's about the commitment of the person working with the dog. So they're the one that needs the help and they must work with the That's dog. Right. They can't do it alone and just with no. some training. It's no. really a, a joint effort. And a dog's
1: not for everybody. Okay. And a dog isn't for everybody. And it like you're saying, it is a commitment. It is a joint effort. The Even if the child's 10, it has to be a commitment because all the handling has to come from the child that means the feeding taking the dog out to the bathroom the grooming the walking the dog playing with the dog it all has the bond has to be from the child in order for that dog to work for the child
0: wow so they have to be really responsible and um and be there with the dog it really is truly a joint effort and a commitment and a a really intense relationship, because lots of kids at ten years old want a dog, but they don't want to walk them, they don't want to feed them. all that novelty can wear off quite quickly,
1: right, and you know the kids that do come for these dogs they're they're on board, they're committed, and it works nice
0: isn't that they wonderful? do get
1: and being a younger person, they can put the dog aside, that what I mean by that set it up into a play area or into a crate for its own break for a bit and have their own time as well, and have a break from the dog, being a younger person. Okay. But it is a full-time relationship between the child and the dog.
0: And so really it should be the, the one who receives the help from the dog should be the one, as you said, feeding, walking, caring for the dog. So there's that bond.
1: That's right, that commitment. The where the dog's going to be keeping a close eye, that's where the dog becomes in tune to the handler.
0: This is something. Well, they've done a lot um, with guide dogs in many areas, and it sounds like this is just yet another area that's being developed in such a wonderful way to support um, people living with diabetes and give them some peace of mind. Never mind, as you said, um, support without judgment. And in being so... Um, uh see being such a, a wonderful friend
1: wonderful friend a wonderful companion yeah.
0: that's and just judgmental yes mm-hmm. and non-judgmental I mean um for those that need it but i wasn't aware and I have to say that shed a new light on on the situation for me because I just thought well you could get a dog and if you have you know the occasional low blood sugar it's a good backup but really and truly it's really meant for those that are having them often and they have to meet a certain criteria have you yes. heard this you've heard the same thing i'm i'm imagining from others training schools
1: exactly and they also they cannot have another animal in the house like a dog sorry they can have a cat they can't have another dog in the house
0: so it can it has to be the only dog that's in the house you can't yeah, have multiple dogs
1: not, not at this time we find that uh, a dog will play with another dog, so it needs to be too involved with the handler. Oh,
0: it dear. needs to
1: be totally involved with the handler, I should say.
0: And that's why the feeding and the walking and the carrying, all of that is so vital that the handler is doing all that for the dog.
1: Yes, exactly. Those are the reasons for well, the commitment.
0: I mean, that's marvelous. and I And I would imagine a lot of these young kids – that have um, these service dogs have to be quite mature in and have that commitment right on board. Do you ever interview the child before? Is that part of yes. the whole process?
1: Yes. When we uh, go to the, like if it, uh, a parent applied for a dog for their child, when we go to the home, the child must be there as well. And we will talk directly to the child to see what tux- commitment because if it's I understand a parent's situation but if it's the parent that wants a dog and not the child it won't work the child has to be on board has to be committed
0: in the case of a child yeah I mean a parent an adult would know okay I don't or I do I don't want this you know commitment or I do but you're right a child the novelty could be great but they do yes. have to have that commitment,
1: and so sometimes we'll have parents call us desperate, right? It's because they really want this for the child. But, but when we talk with the but when we talk with the child, you can see they're not really on board with it, just by their answers or their no answers, or and we talk to the parent about that, saying how it won't work that's the child like you can't force them to.
0: Right, because, I mean, the parent might see a great value, but if the child's not on board, it's not going to be a great value. It's not going to be successful. Yeah, no, and and what's the point? I mean, this is, um, so there's quite a bit that goes in this. This is quite um, an eye-opening experience. I mean, the thing that I'm, what I'm hearing at the moment, because I really didn't think about the process. I really didn't take into account of the commitment and, um, you know, how often these things would have to occur in order for the dog to be engaged and be able to, ha- to aid someone. I mean, this, is, uh, this has been fascinating and so enlightening. And I'm imagining the program is growing and ch- ever-changing.
1: Yes, it's growing. We have um, two trainers and an apprentice in the program right now. And um, it's just the applications come in on a continuous basis.
0: So along, uh, sorry, but along with these schools in the U.S. and of course the, the one you're aware of in the U.K., um, this is the only school presently in Canada?
1: The only accredited school in Canada.
0: And so when you say accredited?
1: we part of the Assistance Dogs International Registry.
0: So that should be an important thing. If, if someone wants to look into this, they should look for an accredited training school?
1: Exactly. Exactly, because there is a lot of schools out there that um, may not have the experience.
0: And that, it's very important by the sounds of it. I mean, you're relying on this dog to really help in um, very critical, you know, um, circumstances.
1: You know, unfortunately, not everybody's up front. And uh, these dogs are really valuable to people. And some people don't see the importance of it and they give you a dog that they're in their mind they're saying is you know a fully trained diabetic dog but it's not going to be much benefit to you and you're paying a large price for it the dog on top of it and then the dog ends up not working
0: right and that's
1: why you have to be careful
0: and how disappointing and and uh, would that be? I mean, you get the dog, and then it also kind of taints your thinking that oh, this isn't a successful um, you know program, or these service dogs really don't help. When maybe you know the dog wasn't trained uh, properly, there wasn't you know the process like you're, that you go through, and other schools that are accredited do go through. Right. And that yeah. equals success more often than not, I would imagine. Right.
1: Yes, exactly. It's, there's a big difference with an accredited school.
0: So that's an important thing for everyone to know, that if you're interested in, in adding this tool um, to the management of your diabetes or your loved one's diabetes, the commitment's got to be there by the and the user, the handler, and also it should be an accredited training school. Very, very important.
1: Because there's the guidelines that they meet. They go by and need accredited school so that's why it's important
0: now uh, before we end I'm just we've talked an awful lot about children which is extremely important and and just such a wonderful tool for them but you know I have heard this so I do want to mention it do you get cases where you know a family member um, wants an adult to get a dog whether they're you know an adult let's mm-hmm. say 25 up to 99 and they say oh you should really get these dogs they sound wonderful and there's that push 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 but really the adult is not is very you know on the fence and doesn't think it's necessarily a good idea. Obviously, that's when this program is not for everyone, whether they have low blood exactly. sugar, yeah, issues or not. And you hear that where people say, "Oh, I've heard of this program; it's great," and they always they almost make it seem like a turnkey miracle rather than, and it's not right. And that's the important thing and little piece I think that we can take with us today that. It's got to be a commitment. It doesn't work for everyone, but nevertheless, it's a wonderful thing um, and it's a, a wonderful, wonderful program. added pro- on
1: tool.
0: Right. A and wonderful
1: added on tool, yes.
0: And keep in mind, it's an added on tool. It's not turnkey, yeah. where, oh, that's it. You know, the dog's going to do everything for me. Um, and that's where I think some confusion can come in with some of these tools and programs that are offered that we have to understand that again, there's a commitment, you have to be on board and there has to be a real need for it.
1: Yes, and it's a commitment. Um, diabetes is a hidden disability. It's no longer a hidden disability once you have a dog, guy beside you, a diabetic alert dog beside you. So there's lots of things to be taken into consideration.
0: Wonderful. Well, I have to thank you so much for sharing with us today. Really, um, I had no idea um, about some of these, you know, um, uh, bits of information you've shared. I just thought I will admit I thought it was far more turnkey than what you're sharing. And I think that's so important that we realize, again, it's an add-on tool there's a huge commitment and there is also got to be the proper need for the dog which i think is a really important thing to keep in mind that this isn't necessary this is not not necessarily but it is not for individuals that only get lows now and again these are people no. that are getting them on a regular basis and there's a great concern here
1: that's exactly right you you said it well Eric. it has to be the need part
0: <laughs> so this is fabulous and i have to tell you i am um, wanting to arrange a visit at your training school, I hope you'll let me do that.
1: Oh, I think you'd really love it. here It's a really pleasant place.
0: Oh, it's I'd a large love to.
1: building. Most people are quite impressed once they uh, come across the building, not what they expect.
0: Well I'd love a visit and and taking some pictures, maybe a little video and sharing because this is such a wonderful program and I love the fact that you're sharing with other schools and other parts of the world in the US and in the UK and it seems to be a really um, joint global effort in supporting these
1: people. The more we can help each other, the better we can do our job.
0: Isn't that fantastic and what a great philosophy. Well, thank you so much, Gloria, and I really look forward um, to coming to your facility soon and to the training school.
1: Oh, thank you very much.
0: You have a great day.
1: You as well.
0: A big thank you to Lions Dog Guides for sharing with us today their new program with service dogs and diabetes. Much to consider here, even though these programs are growing and they're offering more, and they're actually talking to one another in order to make these programs better and adding things to them to support people living with diabetes. It's not as simple as, I have diabetes, I'm going to get a service dog. They're really for people with extremes. In this case, we talked about low blood sugars and having them quite often and young children really benefiting from them when it comes to school activities and trips and you know, really helping to support their independence and management of diabetes. But lots to consider. First of all, what we're hearing is an accredited training school is really important. And then going through the process, um, there's a big commitment, even going through the process and gathering information. And do you meet the criteria? Are you able to meet the guidelines in order to get one of these wonderful animals? And then again, when it comes to the handler, is there that commitment? Do they really want this? It's a big commitment having a service dog, but such a wonderful service. Thank you very much for joining me today. And please send me any emails with questions, stories at anita at anitacoach.ca and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.